Hey, if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it and uh, turn to Luke chapter 1. If you're going to use one of the Bibles uh, on the floor around the room, it's page uh, 714. And if you use something like the YouVersion app on your phone, feel free to go there with us again, Luke chapter 1. Uh, we'll get started on our text there uh, in just a moment. As you're turning there, how many, uh, how many bargain hunters in the room today? We got any bargain hunters in the room? All right, plenty of you. You know, you kind of always enjoy a good deal, uh, uh, like looking for that diamond in the rough. Maybe uh, kind of along those same lines, how many of you enjoy reality TV shows like uh, Storage Wars? Yeah, or American Pickers, or, you know, there's Flip or Flop or Flip That, all those different shows. Again, you know, just kind of the same uh, premise, everyone kind of looking uh, for that treasure, those uh, trash to treasure sort of stories. And uh, I mean, every single one of us, we all get a little excited uh, when we find a diamond in the rough like that. I I ran across a couple of stories, uh, recent stories uh, from the past few months uh, of these hidden sort of treasures uh, that popped up in the news like this one. Earlier this year, a teacher in uh, Charleston, South Carolina was having a garage sale and uh, there was one painting that he had for sale in his particular uh, garage sale. He had put a $3 price tag on it. And uh, when no one bought it, uh, maybe after a few comments, he decided to have this particular painting appraised. Well, it turned out that it was uh, a painting by a very important artist. In fact, an artist from India who had recently passed away. Uh, he was able to sell uh, this piece of artwork, uh, which he originally had labeled for $3, for $105,000 at a at an art auction. Uh, Again, a little treasure that he had no idea was in his possession. Uh, But that's nothing compared to this next story. Uh, This next story is about one man who paid uh, $2 for these tin-type photos. He he bought three of them, and he started studying them, and he thought to himself, you know, one of these uh, gentlemen might just happen to be Billy the Kid. Well, it turns out he was right, And uh, after some research and some homework and some consultation with experts, uh, they do believe that it's a Billy the Kid photo. In fact, it's only the second known existing photo of Billy the Kid. And now this uh, tin-type photo, again, he bought a few of them for $2. Uh, This particular photo has been authenticated and insured for $5 million, all right? Again, uh, another trash-to-treasure sort of stories. And And we all like stories like that, right? I mean, we all get excited about these kind of stories uh, a little bit more if they happen to you, right? Like if you're involved uh, with the story. But uh, we love these stories. We love these stories of, of something that's overlooked, uh, someone that goes overlooked uh, maybe for years and all of a sudden they're turned out to be a great value in them. We love these stories where uh, someone thinks or everyone thinks that something uh, is expendable, yet it turns out uh, to be very valuable. Here's the thing about hidden treasures. Uh, They're only hidden because uh, people don't pay attention to them. Uh, They're only hidden because people don't recognize the value they have. And and here's what I hope that you'll hear today. And if you're taking notes uh, and following along with us, we want to see that things don't lose their value because we stop paying attention to them. Uh, Here's the thing with us and for you and me today. uh, In God's eyes, we all have value. I want to make sure you hear that today. In in our Father's eyes, you have value. Uh, You have great value. You You are extremely important and loved by our God. And we're continuing in this series this morning, a series that we've called The Thrill of Hope. And what we're doing here in December is we're taking five lines from one of the greatest love Christmas carols of all time, 
uh, the song, O Holy Night, and we're looking uh, at these particular lines. We're looking at this song and what these words mean in the light of Christmas, uh, particularly the Christmas story that is the birth of Jesus. And here's what I've been praying, and here's what I'm praying for you and for us and for our time together each week. My hope is that together we might be able to uncover some of the biblical truths uh, that are found in this great song, some of the theological truths that are right there, these uh, theological truths that remind us of the real meaning of Christmas, uh, that remind us that the real meaning of Christmas isn't Santa Claus, it isn't uh, things like eggnog or uh, movies like Christmas Vacation, but that the real meaning of Christmas uh, is found in words like these. You've heard these words before, you've sung these words, words like, O Holy Night. You know, the stars are brightly shining. Uh, What is it? It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Uh, The writer says, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Aren't those good words? I know those are such rich words. And and how can a song like that, how can a song written more than 150 years ago still hold so much beauty and uh, so much meaning and so much truth for us today. Here are a couple of things. You know, first of all, the song reminds us that on that Christmas night, it was a holy night. And the word holy just simply means sacred. It means to uh, be set apart. I mean, it, th- this particular night that Jesus Christ was born, I mean, it was something to be celebrated, something uh, exalted. It was something good. Again, it had a very divine quality to it. I mean, there was something about that Christmas night 2,000 years ago that made it different than any other night that had ever existed, any other night that we've experienced to this point. It was the night that the Son of God that our Savior, Jesus Christ, was born into this world. And on that night, as the writer says, the soul felt its worth. And that's the line that I want to focus on here this morning. It's that line, the soul felt its worth. And that's what I'm praying for you today again, that your soul would feel its worth, not only here today, uh, but during this season, during this Christmas time, but beyond that as well, because Christ loves you and he created you and you have worth and value in his eyes. We just, if we just pause there for a second, we just join me in prayer. Let's just ask the Lord to really impress that on our heart today. Father in heaven, uh, we do pray uh, that we would be able today as a church, uh, as guests, as seekers, as individuals, Lord, to really understand what it means that our souls have worth today. And our souls have worth because you put that worth there and you created us and therefore we have value. And I I want us to recognize that today. I want us to be changed by that, Lord. And so open up our hearts to hear from you and you speak into our lives today what you want us to hear. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, think about that for a moment. Uh, What does it mean that a soul feels its worth. I mean, do you, I mean, if you're honest with yourself this morning, I mean, can you say, you know, yeah, I, I kind of feel that right now. You know, I, I feel in a good place in life. I mean, things are going well for me. I can see how my soul has worth. I think for others of you, there's a possibility, you know, that maybe you're sitting here today and maybe because based on some circumstances, some things going on in your life, maybe some garbage going on in your life right now, you know, you're having a hard time believing that your soul has worth. Um, but as we ask this question, you know, does our soul have worth? You know, maybe it's easier to look back and think about, think about uh, times in our life, maybe times in your life where your soul uh, hasn't felt its worth. I mean, can you think of a time? I mean, can you think of a moment or a season in your life where you didn't, you know, feel like you had a lot of worth, maybe felt worthless or valueless? You know, sometimes our souls uh, don't have this feeling of worth and it's tied to, you know, maybe things like a breakup. You know, so, someone that was so important to you, but it's just not going to work out. And so maybe you went through a season of a breakup and you know, you know, that hurt. 
There was a lot of pain attached uh, with a season like that. Maybe, maybe it had to do with a failure in your life. Uh, you were found out by some you know, things that you had going on, a secret that you were keeping. Maybe, maybe one of the lowest points for you, uh, again, when it comes to your soul having worth, had to do with loneliness or, again, being cast aside by someone that you love. Maybe, maybe it came during a time when you were passed over for a promotion or uh, passed over for a particular job that you really wanted, or maybe it was a time of employment. Maybe, maybe you didn't ex- get accepted to kind of your first choice school or uh, maybe it was during something like middle school, right? You know, I mean, middle school, that, those can be really tough years. Like I, th- I think about uh, a year for me in middle school. I, I grew up in a, and went to a uh, school in a small town, a town called New Berlin, Illinois. Now, the one thing that makes New Berlin, Illinois famous is that New Berlin, Illinois is home of the pretzels, all right? That's their high school mascot, the New Berlin pretzels. Well, I didn't go to the public school. I actually went to a much smaller uh, Lutheran school, so small that I had seven kids in my class, all right, in seventh grade, seven kids. That, and, and I didn't know any different, all right? That's just all I'd ever known was going to this small uh, private school in this very small town. It was a great experience. And, and even in our school and as a sports lover, we had multiple sports teams. And while I wasn't exceptional at any of the sports, I played and contributed on each of the teams. I mean, you kind of had to. I mean, when you only have seven kids in your class, everybody's just kind of got to play. And uh, anyways, I, I attended this school until the end of my seventh grade year. And then we moved about 20 minutes away to a nearby town called Chatham. And Chatham had a much larger school district. Uh, Lisa knows what I'm talking about. And I went from a school of seven kids or seven kids in my class uh, to now 200 kids uh, in my class. And so that was a bit of a shock for me. It was a a cultural shock as uh, as an eighth grader. And I still remember, I still remember that first day walking into the school cafeteria and all these kids, and I didn't know uh, any of them. And just, again, those questions of who do you sit by? Who do you talk to? I mean, again, that was a really challenging time. And then basketball tryouts rolled around, and uh, that was a real wake-up call for me. And I made it through the whole week of tryouts, but at the very end of the week, I was cut uh, from the team. And so I, I was devastated. And I, I still remember, I mean, it, it's, I still remember how difficult that first year, I mean, that, that, was, that was a tough year for me, and I had to learn some tough lessons, you know, about character and trust during that time. And I think it's safe to say that I questioned my value, I questioned my place in life that first year uh, at that new school. And while I was a Christian, and while I had Christian parents in a good church, I mean, I wasn't paying attention to God, I wasn't turning to Him and asking for help. I mean, I didn't have that maturity uh, in my life or in my faith at that time, but looking back now... I'm thankful. I know that God was walking with me through uh, that year. And, and even though I wasn't reaching out to him, and I didn't feel much worth during that time, but I know that he had a plan for me. I mean, I know that I had value in his eyes, that I still have value in his lie or in, in, in his eyes today. Here's the thing, you know, just because uh, someone doesn't treat you like a masterpiece uh, doesn't mean that you're not a masterpiece in the eyes of, of someone who is so much greater um, just because, you know, you don't have someone or you haven't found that someone uh, to spend the rest of your life with doesn't mean that there's not someone uh, that you aren't most special to, uh, someone who really matters the most. I mean, just because someone has a poor opinion of you or of some of your past choices and mistakes uh, doesn't mean the creator's opinion is any less of you. You know, those garage sale items that had been ignored for decades while ignored, their value only increased. And really, so it is with us. I mean, our value isn't reduced because someone isn't paying attention. Our value, your value isn't reduced because of the circumstances that are going on around you. 
There's a story that I want to look at briefly with you today. It's a story in the scripture, uh, a story of someone who uh, must have felt very vulnerable. Uh, It's the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And if you're there in Luke chapter 1, I want to pick it up in verse 26 and uh, just read some of these verses here for you today. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Uh, We read, Luke writes, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And so uh, you know this story. We know this story. The angel shows up and has some crazy, unexpected news for this young teenage girl named Mary. This news that you're pregnant, all right? Uh, You're pregnant. You're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby boy, and his name is to be Jesus. Now, if you've been a part of a church, if you've been around, you know, the Bible for a a good portion of your life, you know that it's easy to look at a story like this. We just kind of sort of glance it over quickly. We know the story and and maybe just ignore the cultural significance of, of what this really means to Mary. Look at it like this, young ladies. All right, I want you to just imagine for a moment you're in high school or uh, in college, uh, kind of in Mary's shoes a little bit, and imagine that you get news like this, that you're pregnant, all right, and you're a virgin, and so what's the first thing that's going to go through your mind? I mean, it's going to be questions of what or how or, you know, how in the world am I ever going to explain something like this? I mean, no one will ever believe you, right? Well, same thing here with Mary. And add to it, in this particular culture, in ancient Palestine, sexual purity, especially for a young woman like this, was integral to your personal worth and not just your self-esteem, all right, but your financial value too. I mean, here's what I mean by that. As a potential wife in this particular culture, a virgin, a girl like this, would command a much higher bride price than, let's say, a pregnant woman or a woman already with child. And so add to that, then there's also the question of family honor. Uh, There's this question of reputation. And Mary's engaged, all right, in the middle of all of this. I just want you to see what she's up against. I want you to see some of the challenges that she's going to face in explaining herself, her side of the story. And so she finds out she's pregnant, and now she's got some explaining to do. And so who in the world is going to believe a young teenage girl like this. Scholar uh, Daryl Bach writes it like this. He says, in ancient culture, virginity was an honored state, a badge of self-control and moral faithfulness. He says, Mary would appear to have conceived a child out of wedlock. Her explanation of a divine conception would be hard to swallow. And so I don't think it's hard to imagine the finger pointing. I don't think it's hard to imagine the snickering, uh, the questioning glances that she might have endured. I mean, you can see how this young girl, Mary, might have found reasons why she didn't feel very valuable. And add to that, she was poor. And again, add to that, she was very young. And she's pregnant and not married. And so the circumstances, you know, are piling up against her. But the angel tries to reassure her. Look at verse 31. And the angel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. See, this baby was the one who had been promised. 
Right, this baby is the one who the prophets had been speaking of. I mean, for hundreds of years, God had been telling the Jewish people that he would send a Messiah, that he would send a Savior, a son of David, whose kingdom would never end. And now an angel tells this young peasant girl that she is the one who would give birth to him, that she's the one who is going to bring this Messiah into the world. The angel tells Mary that her son would be the one that is going to change everything forever. Now, I gotta just add here, I think it's safe to assume that she couldn't have completely understood the implications of what was taking place or even of Christ's birth and how Christ's birth would change forever how people like you and me relate to God. That she couldn't have possibly understood how his birth would literally divide time, would literally divide our calendar from B.C. uh, to A.D. I mean, she couldn't have known all of that. But she knew it was big. I mean, there was something about that announcement that reminded her, that showed her that this is big. And in response to this wonderful news, uh, Mary sings a song of praise, a song of praise recorded right here in Luke from this particular occasion. It's almost like she's going to turn a little Mary Poppins in this moment, all right, and just kind of bust out uh, into a song. Maybe not like that, but her response or her song is sometimes called the Magnificat. You can pick it up in verse 46 there in Luke chapter 1. Mary responds and says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And what we see right here, right here in Mary's song of praise, is that her soul felt worth. She felt like she had worth and value in this moment maybe for the first time in her life. I mean, because for most of her life, she probably felt small. For most of her life, she probably felt plain and insignificant. But in this moment, her soul feels its worth and her heart explodes into worship. Let me see if I can uh, illustrate this. I've got in my pocket a few 20s, a few $20 bills. I don't typically have a few $20 bills, but... It was allowance time, and we're on the Dave Ramsey plan, so I've got my cash uh, for the next couple of weeks. But uh, uh, I want you to imagine for a moment that I'm just going to make it rain in here, all right? And I'm just going to start handing out 20s. Like, that's a pretty, that'd be a cool church, wouldn't it? You know, if we like gave away money uh, like this. But I, I want you to imagine for a moment, and this is fairly crisp but I offer you the opportunity to have this $20 bill. I, I think most of us, if we're in our mind, right, say, I'll take that, right? I'll take 20 bucks, you know, 20 bucks. I mean, depending, you know, on the size of your home, you know, might buy lunch today or a cup of coffee or two at Starbucks. But, uh, uh, you know, imagine I offer you this 20. I, I think every one of us would take it. But uh, think about this. What if I take it? What if I just wad it up, right? Uh, anyone still want this $20 bill? I think we're probably all good with it, right? You'd say, you know what, I'd take it. What if I did this? Not only is it wadded up, I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna put it on the ground, I'm just gonna kind of stand on it, you know, I'm just gonna kind of, uh, you know, drive it into the ground a little bit more. Would you still want this 20? Yeah, right? I mean, I, I think we'd all still want this 20. Why? I mean, does it still have value, even though it's got some bends and, you know, some crumplings to it? Yeah, we, we, we'd still want a 20 like this. Why does it have value? Well, the central bank says it has value, right? The central bank created this dollar. The central bank says what it is worth. And I just want you to understand that Mary's soul didn't have more worth, all right, the day, you know, after the angel visited her than it did the day before. You know, things don't lose their value, you know, simply because no one's paying attention. But Mary had value even when her circumstances felt like they weren't providing much value. 
I mean, Mary had value, you know, even through these difficult times. I mean, even when Mary felt crumpled up, even when Mary felt stomped on, her value was great in the eyes of our Father. And in the same way, you've got value too. It just means that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's happened in your life, no matter how your past may define you fairly or unfairly, you still have value in the eyes of God. I mean, the one who made you declares that you are valuable, that you have worth, even when you don't feel it. And what helped Mary feel her worth? Well, I want you to just see a couple of things here quick this morning. Two things that we can see from this story that just really helped Mary in understanding her value. If you're taking notes, the first thing is God's presence. Uh, God's presence before her. God's presence in her helped her in understanding her worth. I mean, God came to her, you know, first through the incredible sight of a messenger, an angel, to announce this news that she was going to give birth, not to just simply a son, all right, but to his son. I mean, it was the news that the savior of the world was gonna be formed in her body. I mean, think about it like this. Ladies, uh, imagine uh, if you've been pregnant, you can understand if you've never been pregnant before, just kind of imagine. Imagine being pregnant, somebody coming up to you, maybe uh, for those of you that have been pregnant, you've had this happen before and someone just kind of rubs on your belly a little bit. You know, you've maybe had that awkward, I, I don't do that, all right? But you know, maybe you've, uh, you've had that awkward moment, you know, somebody rubs on your belly and then what's the big question? Hey, do you know what you're having? And imagine being able to respond, it's a God, all right? Like, you know, I mean, that, that's Mary's story, all right? Like that's how she gets to respond. I mean, she's got something special happening in her. She's kind of starstruck, you know, by what's going on in her life. And so she gets to respond this way. It kind of reminds me of, you know, what it's like when we meet uh, famous people, all right? You ever been starstruck before by somebody uh, you've met? I remember one occasion, uh, probably the most most famous person I've ever met uh, was the champ, Muhammad Ali. Uh, he's the one on the right there. And... Uh, <laughs> And the goober on the left is me, believe it or not, about 13, 14 years ago. But uh, we were living in Michigan at the time. I was pastoring at a church, and Muhammad Ali lived about 20 minutes away. And it was my hope that one day I'd get to meet him. And I had a buddy that uh, had, had a relationship with him. And so he was able to get me out there one day. And I was able to spend uh, about an hour with Muhammad Ali. And as you can imagine, again, if you've ever been around anyone famous like this, I was really giddy. All right, I was pretty starstruck to meet somebody like Muhammad Ali. Well, Mary must have felt 100 times, you know, what I felt. All right, to have this angelic appearance, to receive this news. I mean, God came to her as near as he possibly could. And I just want you to understand that that's what Christmas means for us too. We celebrate God's presence. We celebrate because God came near. I mean, we get to celebrate that God, the creator of all things, he came to us. He came for you. He came to live amongst us. And that just means that today, right now in your life. He is more than capable of living in the middle of your ordinary mundane days. God came for that. He, he lives uh, in the middle of our brokenness. He, he's, he's in the middle right now. He, he's willing to be there for your confusion and in your loneliness or in the chaos. I mean, he came to this earth and for your life so that your soul could feel and understand its worth. It's like what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, one occasion, Jesus said, you know, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Can I just stop there and ask you a question? How many of you have ever heard the voice of the thief in your life? And we know that voice, don't we? He's the voice of discouragement. He's the voice of lies. He's the voice of destruction. He's the voice 
that likes to bring up old things from our past and remind us of the wounds that we have, of the baggage that we're carrying around. That's the voice of the thief here. We all hear it. Jesus said, you know, the world was broken. I've come to put it back together. One version of the Bible called the voice translates Jesus' words this way. He says, I came to give life with joy and abundance. That's the good news. That's what Jesus has come for. And his coming wasn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago and only relevant for then. I mean, it still happens for us today. I mean, his presence is good and true for us today. I mean, even as you find your way back to God, you discover that his presence is with you or his presence is something that can be with you that when you submit, when you make that decision to trust or to submit your life to Jesus Christ, what God does, the Bible promises that he comes to live inside of us. He sends his presence to be in you, to be with you, and he will be with you every moment of every day. I mean, like Mary, his presence in your life can help your soul feel its worth. The second thing that helped Mary feel her worth is God's mission, is God's mission. I mean, God gave Mary a mission. He trusted her with bringing Jesus Christ into the world. Look at verse 31 one more time. Again, the angel said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Uh, He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. See, here, here's the big news. Here's the mission that God had in mind for Mary. God trusted Mary to give birth to his son, Jesus Christ. And not only that, but to name him, uh, to, to nurture him. Uh, have you ever thought about this? That means to feed him, uh, to change him, to clean him, to talk to him, to, to help him learn how to walk, to teach him how to talk and to eat. I mean, we're talking about the son. We're talking about the one who became human for us. Mary was given the responsibility of raising the son of God, Jesus Christ, in this world. I mean, that's a mission that was clearly much bigger than Mary you know, had ever faced or experienced on her own. In fact, it's a bit overwhelming, Right? And so Mary asked this understandable question, one that you or I would probably ask, and that's a question of how. All right, how's this gonna happen? All right, how's this gonna take place? And what she's gonna find out is that there's more going on that she can see. I mean, God's gonna give her a gift. And it's this gift of being lifted out of her narrow little world, her little bubble, and he's lifting her into a very real and a very challenging, uh, lifting her out of these circumstances. And what he's going to do is he's gonna show her the part that she's going to play in God's larger story of redemption in this world. Look at verse 35. Again, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. See, here's the thing for Mary. Mary's soul felt its worth when she realized that her life wasn't simply about just being Mary anymore. I mean, it was about what God was going to do in her. And it was about what God was going to do through her. I mean, God was going to use Mary to bring Jesus Christ to the world. And he wasn't going to send her away empty-handed either. I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit was going to come over her. The power of the Holy Spirit was going to give her the strength to accomplish this mission. Here's what I believe. Part of Mary's value was realized when she surrendered to God's will. And when she started understanding the part that she was going to play in God's mission to the world. And you know what? The same is true for you and me. The same is true when it comes to our purpose, when it comes to our understanding, our mission. We begin to realize, you know, or at least better understand the part we have to play when we understand that we're a part of something so much bigger as followers of Christ and as a church, that life is so much more 
It's so much more than making all conference. Life is so much more than earning your degree or getting into the school you've always wanted to attend. I mean, life is so much more than a bigger paycheck. Life is so much more than a bigger home. It's so much more than finally acquiring your dream car. And as Mary was ordained with the responsibility of bringing Jesus to this world, you and I have been given the very same mission too. You see, it's our responsibility to bring Jesus to others. It's your responsibility and my responsibility to bring Jesus to the people that God has put in our life. It's people like your family right now. Uh, you've got people in your family. You've got people at least in your extended family who don't yet know the Lord. God's put you in their life for a reason. He's put you there so that you might bring Jesus to them that you might show Jesus to them. I mean, God's put neighbors and classmates. He's put people on uh, your dorm floor right now, other residents in your building or in your apartment complex. He has them there for a reason so that you can help bring Jesus to them in the way that you live your life and in your concern and in the words that you share, or the example uh, that you set or in your generosity. I mean, he, he has in mind for you to be Jesus, to bring Jesus to your school or to be Jesus or to show Jesus or to shine the light of Jesus at least where you work. Your mission, my mission, is to bring Jesus to others, just as Mary was asked to do. I mean, and I just believe that a big part of realizing our value and our purpose has everything to do with entering into this mission that God has for you, that God has for me. And that just means seeing the world differently. It means shining light in dark places. It means saying, you know what, I want to be a person of generosity because the Lord leads the way with generosity. Why wouldn't I be that example for others to see in generosity? That I want to be a person of compassion, that I want to be a person of forgiveness and service. See, this is the good news. Like, this is the good news that we not only receive this gift of eternal life, but we start living immediately that we join in God's work. I mean, eternal life is all about living now and living for God's kingdom in this world so that others can see and experience it too. And when you embrace God's mission of helping people find their way back to God, well, your life is gonna have greater value. Again, you're gonna find greater significance and purpose. You're gonna see and realize that your soul has worth. And the challenge for some of you here today is just simply this, that you're not living for the Lord. Like that's not priority one in your life right now. In your life, I mean, if you're honest with yourself, you're focused on so many less important things. And some of you are teaching your kids right now to do the very same things with these mixed up sort of priorities. The apostle Paul reminds us of our worth. He reminds us of our purpose in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, when he writes, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things, all right, that he planned for us long ago. See, Paul reminds us even here that you have value. And just as God gave Mary a mission, he has put a mission in front of you too. We have a part to play in showing Jesus to others and taking Jesus to others, of putting this broken world back together with our everyday living. And when we realize that, and when we respond to that, we get to come alive, you know? We get to come alive to what we're really here for. See, God wants to use you for something so much larger than yourself so much larger than your present circumstances. He's got a vision for your life. He's got a vision for my life. And that's true of you right now, even if you feel no worth. It's true of you, even if your circumstances don't confirm it. But listen to me, and you need to hear this. I mean, you're, you will never, I mean, your soul will never feel its worth until you start caring more about what God thinks of you than what someone else thinks of you. I mean, it's so true because when criticism screams at you, 
Uh, when doubt overwhelms you, when fear paralyzes you, when you find yourself always in comparison to other people and other people's lives or what other people are posting on their Facebook page, God's message for you is so much more important, of so much value. It's a reminder that your life matters, that your soul has worth, that he has a purpose for you, that your life matters to God. You know, I told you the story of those uh, garage sale items. I've got a similar story. And I know I've probably shared this story before, so forgive me if you've heard it. But uh, uh, there were some years back, uh, I think it was even before we had kids, we were hanging out with a big group of friends from our church at the time. And uh, it was Christmas time, and so it was, uh, what, Yankee Swap, White Elephant, whatever you want to call it. And kind of the instructions for that particular evening was just grab a piece of junk at home, put it in a box, bring it to the game, and then, you know, we just kind of play the game. Everybody walks away with somebody else's junk, all right? But you know what happens. Somebody always brings like a serious gift, you know, and so then you all fight over all that one serious gift. Well, I didn't, I didn't get the serious uh, gift. I ended up with this box. It was about the size of, you know, what uh, paper comes in, like copy paper comes in, a, a box about that size. And when I opened it up, it was a, a cuckoo clock, uh, but not just simply a cuckoo clock, it was a disassembled cuckoo clock. And so, you know, the box was there and then the weights were in there and the chains and the gears and all these pieces. And I have no idea if all of the parts were there, but that's what I walked away with. And I just kind of had in mind that, you know, I take it home and dump it in my trash can on the way into house. But I got this idea and I thought, you know what, this might be worth something to someone else. And so I, I laid it out on, on a table, every little part, and I took a picture of it and I put it on eBay. And wouldn't you know it, over the course of the next few days, I watched this piece of junk, disassembled cuckoo clock, go from no bids to a final bid of $90, all right, on eBay. And wouldn't you know it, I sent this cuckoo clock off to someone on the East Coast who, who bought it from me for $90, and I felt like the big winner, all right, you know, that somebody gave me their junk and I turned it into $90. I've had these thoughts at time of is the true winner the guy out on the East Coast? Did he, did he know something about this cuckoo clock that maybe I didn't realize or I had never seen that maybe it was worth so much more than I even realized? You know, you may feel like you are of little to no worth to anyone right now. I wanna tell you this morning that you are of great value, great worth to our God. And you are valuable because he says you are valuable, because he created you. You are his masterpiece, and he wants to live in you and through you for others to see. And you know, it's so important. It's so important in this difficult world and in these difficult times, potentially a difficult season like Christmas, that we keep going to God's word, to his truth, and allow that truth to speak into our lives. And I'm just reminded of some of those things that he says about me, he says about us this morning when he says things like, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Or the reminder that he knew you before you were born. We read, we understand that he formed you in your mother's womb. He says of me that all of my days were written in his book before any of them came to be. He says that you were a child of God. He reminds us that when times are tough, he gathers us in his arms and he carries us close to his heart. He says that we are all together beautiful, that every uh, one of our hairs on our head are numbered. 
that he will protect us from trouble, that even now he is transforming us more and more into his image with ever-increasing glory. He says that we have this opportunity to shine like the stars in the sky. He reminds us that his grace is sufficient for us. He tells us that you can approach his throne and his presence with confidence. He shows us that he began a good work in us and that he's gonna carry this on to completion in this world. He reminds us that he has loved us with an everlasting love and we have this promise and this confidence that when we call to him, he will answer. You will never know your worth or your value if you spend more time focused on what other people think of you. He is the one who created you. He is the one that has the right to determine your value and you are of great worth and of great importance to him. And I love this last verse in our selection for today in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, where we're reminded that no word from God will ever fail. He won't fail you. He won't fail you. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. And um, I, I just pray that you would impress upon each of us today that we are of worth that we are of value, and that you love us with an everlasting love. Encourage our hearts today. Remind us of your presence and send us out of here on mission to live for you, to let others see Jesus through us. And it's in your name we pray, amen.